emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. And on today's show, folks, we are doing more metric mania. Hey, Ed, how's it going? It's going great, Ron. Good, because this show is a constant theme, or this topic is a constant theme. You know, be careful what you measure because you're going to get it good and hard. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to the, discussing this this uh, topic in the show. We've we've done similar stuff in the past, but I it absolutely bears repeating because this is some some things that are absolutely pervasive in the business world today that really need shaking. They really do, and 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 I don't remember who sent us this or if it was posted on our. Ferris Agent Friends Facebook page, maybe by Matthew Burgess, maybe Hector sent it to us. I forget, but it's a Harvard Business Review article, which we, I don't think you read it. I certainly don't read it. I stopped reading it because it was just so hard to separate the wheat from the chaff in this publication. I found it to just, it it's just totally bores me. Um, but this article, Don't Let Metrics Undermine Your Business by Michael Harris and Bill Taylor is from the September-October 2019 issue. So we've been sitting on this for a while, but I'm glad we finally worked it in. And basically what it says is, listen, strategy is abstract, right? We talk about the art of strategy, right? And doesn't Roy Sutherland equate it to military strategy? And it's the metrics that give strategy form. One of the things these guys say is, you know, strategies like the blueprint where the metrics are concrete, wood, drywall, and bricks, right? And, uh, but here's the problem and here's the trap. When we start focusing on the metrics that represent the strategy, right? Rather than implementing the strategy and being concerned about the strategy's objectives and purpose, we start just looking at the representation, the metrics, and start focusing on that. Yeah, that's the key is understanding that, that the metrics are not the strategy. Yep. And there's a great recent illustration of this as if we need more examples. I mean, there's tons of examples throughout history. And we've talked about the Vietnam War and the, you know, the metric mania there. The, what was it the body count, right? Mac Manera's body count. Um, but this one discusses Wells Fargo and how they opened up three and a half million deposit and credit card accounts without customer consent. And it was part of their cross-selling strategy. Now, in fairness, Wells Fargo never had a cross-selling strategy. What they had was a strategy to deepen customer relationships. But they instituted a metric that looked at cross-selling. You know, they even had a name, eight is great. You know, eight things that we can sell per customer right? Checking account, saving account, credit card, you know, maybe investment, whatever. And that's where they ran into problems. 
because people forgot about the strategy and started focusing solely on the metric. That's correct. And right in their, their strat- strategic document, and this is, I think, a third quarter 2016 earnings report, it says to, they're, they're making an effort to best align our cross-selling metric with our strategic focus of long-term retail banking relationships. <laughs> right. So, it, yeah, it didn't have a cross-selling strategy. It had a cross-selling metric. And the, the cost of this scandal, Ed, were phenomenal. I mean, uh, there were initial fines of $185 million. They had to reimburse customers $6.1 million. There was a class action lawsuit that they settled for $142 million. In 2017, they accrued $3.25 billion for future litigation expenses, um, show, illustrating how the lawyers tend to win in cases like this. And in 2018, they were fined by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau $1 billion. Uh, and then, of course, the CEO, Timothy Sloan, had to resign in March. And and, and none of that rep- it, it, uh accounts for the reputational loss, you know, the goodwill. Yes. The, the exact opposite of what they were shooting for. <laughs> for. <laughs> and the authors say, you know, this is a clear case where the strategy is hijacked by the, by the numbers and the metrics. And they introduce a new word, which is interesting. It's called surrogation where that's when we mentally replace strategy with metrics and boy, yep. Can you think of examples every day where you see this? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, being the word guy, of course, what did I do, Ron? I looked it you up. Looked up the word. So where's it up- from? <laughs> I, you know, I knew it was for you know, like a surrogate mother, right? Sure, sure. Surrogation, sur- subrogation, or surrogation, and the substitution of one person or group from another for, and it's it has with respect to a debt or insurance claim. This is the origin of the term, mm-hmm. right? Uh, accompanied by the transfer, and I love this, the transfer of any associated rights or duties. So it's it really has this this notion of uh, there's that um, a moral component to it as well, rights and duties. So I think it's a it's a good term. Now, I don't see this taking off in business. You know, hey, we got to be careful about you know surrogation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just not, you know this is clearly a Harvard Business Review article, so we've got to throw the word in there. Yeah, but. I think you know their their more important point is that it, there's a the, the tendency for us all mentally to replace strategy with metrics, and the 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 challenge that I see is not understanding that strategy in the first place, which is why I love the definition of strategy strategy put together by Jules Goddard mm-hmm. and his notion that it's the rare and precious art, not right, the rare and precious art of being able to stay one step ahead of having to be efficient. Yep. And what is so important about keeping that in mind is it's almost the antithesis of measurement because it's the efficiency piece that people come back to with regard to their measurement. Yep. And th- there always seems to be some kind of a component of you know inputs versus outputs, and that's what your your kind of definition of of efficiency is, right? Mm-hmm. And once you, once you start int- interviewing introducing these ratios is I think when things start to, to collapse upon themselves, because oftentimes as, as uh, Dr. Lee has pointed out to us, it's, you know, trees divided by pickup trucks. Yep, exactly. 
I mean, th this kind of the, the article I, I found fascinating because they used metrics you know, the term metrics, not measurements. And, and that, that's a crucial distinction as Dr. Lee has taught us. Um, but one manifestation of this is like, say you have a strategy, they cite uh, an example where if your strategy is say to delight the customer, you say, well, gee, okay, we want to delight the customer, you know, go above and beyond their expectations. How are we going to know if we're doing that? Well, we'll have, we'll survey them. And then now all of a sudden now everybody is focused on the survey. And I doubt there's a listener out there who hasn't experienced this. You take your car in to get it serviced, or I had some body work done. Happened to me this week, Ron. Happened Did to it? me this week. It oh, they talk to you. You're going to get a survey ad in the, in the mail. And I, yeah, I, I hope you can give us a 10. And if you can't, please let me know why, and we'll do whatever it takes. To, and, and, and you know what that does? One of the things it does is it reduces real feedback. I mean, I might just give you a 10 just so I don't have to think about it anymore. Or my, my garage has bribed me for, you know, with an oil change or a detail if I gave him a good score on the survey. I mean, that's, that's how fanatically stupid this can become. And that does rob them of real feedback, real honest-to-goodness feedback from their customers. And even though that might come at a lower score, lower quote-unquote metric, they would get more real contextual information to really improve. And by bombarding us with these surveys, you're actually reducing and diminishing the customer experience. Not only for the reason that you mentioned, which is you're artificially inflating of it, but also it, it actually creates the incentive to not respond at all to mm -hmm. the survey. Because you get, you're like, oh, would this guy just shut up already? So either you do give him the 10 out of just, all right, I, I just can't deal with it. Right. Or you, you don't, you don't answer at all, thereby reducing the feedback, as you mentioned. So I think there's a double, a double whammy out there. Yeah. And you know, if you do want to give them a lower score, you don't want to have to deal with the person calling you and asking you why, and what can we do? And all, you know, they should just want the honest to goodness feedback and let the numbers fall where they, where they lie. Which is one of the reasons I just about every time that I do any kind of a survey, I'll always offer for it to be anonymous. If I'm capturing survey data, I'll say, yeah, but if you don't have to put, you don't have to put anything down. Yep. That's a good idea. I mean, I, I rather have the honest to goodness feedback rather than mm -hmm. you know, have it sanitized through this process because everybody's focused on getting their numbers. And there's, there's, there's so many examples of this. Enterprises it, it was fanatical about surveying their customers, you know, because they use a net promoter score, and uh, it just becomes a game at that point. Yeah, and that's that's sad too because I I do think that there are some insights that one can gain from net promoter score when used properly, and the sad part is is that it oftentimes is not used properly, and I think that that's really the the sad part. You know, I I believe it's been a while since I read Reichheld. But he he comes out pretty strongly against gaming it and is pretty strict about you can't game game it because that 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 you're destroying it. So he did warn of that in his original work. Right. But the, the, yeah, the challenge is, is once it becomes <laughs> it, it put, gets put into practice, you know, it, it's it, things are going to change. He, he also said that if, if people don't respond, they should be considered detractors and nobody does that. Right. Right. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, we humans are scamps. We'll just figure out a way to do it. And there's even other article, uh, other examples in the article uh, about how people can do that. Oh, right. And it, it, no matter what, I mean, and this is the thing, which is why I think that's that from time to time, the metrics that one uses probably can and should change just, just because it's going to take some time for people to figure out how to scam it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it was interesting that uh, what happened to Wells Fargo and and just the the culture and how rapidly it spread. You, you get you know, there's social pressure involved and all sorts of other things going on with with this as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Ron, we're already up against our first break, and we want to remind you that you can get a hold of either of us by sending one email, and that is to asktsoe at verisage.com. In fact, we've got some listener emails that we're going to get to later on in the show. I want to remind you that a place to go to see all things Soul of Enterprise is the website, The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see previews to upcoming shows, as well as the show notes to all previous shows, but right now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and we are discussing more metric mania here this week on the soul of enterprise with an article entitled don't let metrics undermine your business which unpacks what happened at Wells Fargo when they introduced a metric of wanting to have eight products per customer and in a it's an attempted and it was a, not really a strategy because it was a gets close to the customer but it ended up being a cross sell metric that was supporting another strategy but Ron in this article 
one of the things that comes out, and this just piggybacks on the point that you were making earlier, it says that employees under investigation cited pressure more often, uh, more often, more often than incentives for the right. misconduct. Right. right. And what what I thought was interesting is a key, a key internal finding was that management espoused the follow, uh, philosophy that quote, and this is from the report, the internal report. It was acceptable to sell 10 low quality accounts to realize one good one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when I read this portion of the article, I highlighted it and then wrote a note next to it and said, ask Ron about this. Could we replace accounts with ours <laughs> or professional firms? I had the exact same, I have the exact same note. Just replace <laughs> this whole article in HBR with ours and you've got the same moral hazard, surrogation, whatever you want to call it. Yes. And I also think when I saw that 10 to one thing, I also thought about bad customers drive out good customers. Sure. Right. And yep. It's acceptable to do 10 low quality hours. As long as you do one quality mm, one, <laughs> <laughs> just one quality hour. <laughs> so, that's really all we're looking for here. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is just amazing uh, how, how the metrics take over. And I, and I like that one example they kind of closed with where they talked about what was it that uh, the health uh, intermountain um, health, Mm -hmm. a company that, uh, you know, they, they deal with back pain and since yep. most back pain, you know, dissipates within four days, they tried to have the doctors, you know, tell the patients, Hey, just wait and this might go away and you don't need costly surgery or things like that. But if they had turned that into a metric, then people, the doctors would have just had an incentive to gain that metric and tell everybody to wait. But if you've got chronic pain or there's some real emergency, it's the last thing you want, you know, you, you want immediate attention at that point. And so they were really careful to get the doctors involved in formulating, how can we deliver excellent healthcare, not just meet a metric, but deliver a great healthcare, which doctors are motivated to do. Yes, absolutely. And, and that it ties back in. And I, I think we finally did get this one confirmed too, right? The, the, what happened over in the UK with regard to the the metric that they put in place of making sure that every patient that came through the the transom in an emergency room was seen within I don't know a thirty minute period or something like that by a medical yep. professional, yep. and what ended up happening is they ended up stacking up ambulances outside the the <laughs> emergency rooms and telling people not to bring them in because so, then the you know you know they made the, the metric starts. right yep. they, so, yeah they, so they, the ambulance is driving around the block. Right. <laughs> not just sitting. I mean, it was, and, and yes, that is a true story. And it just shows you, I, these guys call it surrogation. I call it moral hazard, mm -hmm. the, the moral hazard of measurement. You know, you'll get the behavior that you're, that you're, that you're insuring against, right? Mm -hmm. Life insurance yep. causes suicide or, or murder and, you know, our fire insurance causes arson. It's the same type of thing. It, it'll defeat the purpose of the measurement or the metric. And this with very real consequences, not only to those patients who are not seen because they're riding around the, in the ambulances, but the other patients who potentially need an ambulance and you can't get one because they're driving around the hospital. <laughs> and it, it, you couldn't, you couldn't come up with a better parody because you know, I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, but well, 
go ahead sorry well they, they, i mean they do they do then talk about uh some some of our fa- favorite people the behavioral economists and daniel kahneman and and shane frederick on what they co- consider the three conditions necessary to stop the or necessary to produce the type of substitution that we see with irrigation. They say, one, the the object or strategy is fairly abstract. Two, the metric of of the strategy is concrete and conspicuous. And three, the employee accepts, at least subconsciously, the substitution of the metric for the strategy. And then, as you mentioned, they suggest, hey, there's some things that we can do to, to help this, right? And the first one is get the people responsible for implementing the strategy to help formulate the strategy in the first place. Right. Yep. What do you think about that? I'm I, I'm somewhat skeptical of that only because I think that that is also potentially ripe for scamming because once you have the people who are involved in the, in the, the development of the strategy, aren't they more likely to say, well, let's figure out what it is that we can do rather than what the long-term strategy and vision is or should be? Yeah, I, I have the same skepticism. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, I you do have to put forth a strategy and and I was going to ask you when you when you put forth a strategy like you know we want to delight our customers people are going to look at you and go and how are we going to measure that right you know we even we even teach to some extent in value pricing to ask that question of your customers right mm-hmm. well we want to increase customer loyalty but how do you measure that and maybe that can lead to an additional consulting engagement or whatever but if we get focused on that, then you run into this problem head on. And, and I know one of the issues, of course, is you have more than one metric. You don't just rely on one metric. But then that can get silly, too. If you have 30 metrics, then people are going to pay attention to none of them. It is the abstraction. I've always thought of it, and this goes back to my work that I did with with Mahan Khalsa when when he he was working with us at Sage on some of this stuff, is that because it is an abstraction, what we're just trying to do is is not actually get to a metric. We're using it because that's how people usually express it and think. But what we're more what we're more trying to do is try to try to understand their their underlying beliefs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about it and it's you know perceived value and as you said this b- before that perceived va- value is a feeling right um and 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 ultimately price can be more of a feeling and not a number as well and what we're we're, we're trying to do is try to get to to something that we can put our mind around because ultimately we've we've got to put a number down just just the nature of, of pricing and it's just the nature of business to, to get back, to take those abstractions and get to something. But what we're really trying to do is it's a substitute for belief. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost the inverse of what went on here. Yeah. Right. They, they, they took the belief and made it into a metric. What we're trying to do is use, use what people, what people talk about and measure to try to get an understanding of the, of their belief. And right. I'm not saying it's not necessarily right. Maybe there's a whole a problem with the theory too. Right. I, I mean, I guess this comes with the territory. There's, there's, there's no easy solutions here. There's just, there's trade-offs. You have to understand what you measure. You will get good and hard, even if it destroys mm-hmm. your organization, like almost happened to Wells Fargo. I mean, mm-hmm. I still think they've taken a reputational hit. I, I didn't oh, know. yeah stock or anything, but I, I know there's a lot, you know, they lost a lot of trust and that's not good for a bank. <laughs> you no. might as well be, you might as well be Fred's bank. <laughs> hey, I'm Fred. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. You know, well, this is George Bailey and in, in it's a wonderful life. Right. I mean, that's the, the challenge. There, there's a quick sidebar here that I, I have a pullout quote. I just want to mention quickly. I did like this. It said generating accounting earnings isn't necessarily the same thing as creating value. Yeah, I pulled that too. Right. Financial statements don't present a complete picture of what's happening in companies, especially if the numbers are in them are manipulated. Well, no kidding. Well, yeah. And then your first year accounting student can do that. Mm hmm. And, and hence, hence the goodwill, you know, the, the term we use for our ignorance. Right. Yep. Yep. But so, you know, we did a show back, uh, I can't believe this. It was show number 12 mm-hmm. <laughs> back in September of 2014 on the, on the moral hazards of measurement. And it kind of fits in the same way. But one of the things we talked about there is the Peter Drucker line, as long as measurements are abused as a tool of control, measuring will remain the weakest area in the manager's performance. Well, we are going to talk more about this, Ron, because one of the things that this, this article inspired me to do was to go further on this quest to, I'm searching for a word here to, uh, to, to eliminate all possible belief that Peter Drucker said, what you can measure, you can manage. I know because, so, but we'll talk about that in the next segment because it's 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 worthy of its own segment. I just, I wanted to finish up though because we did we did mention the 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 first thing, and I think you mentioned the second. So they they do give you three specific things that you can do. One, get the people responsible for implementing the strategy to help formulate it. We expressed our skepticism on that. Second, they do say loosen the link between metrics and incentives which mm-hmm. I think you and I would both agree that that's probably a good thing. There's, there can be some linkage, but loose, keep it, keep it loose. Don't, don't make it so, so specific. Right. Don't wait it so as, much. Yeah. Right. And then finally, as, as you did say this, but this was their other suggestion is use multiple metrics. And I, when, when they say multiple, I think they're not saying 17. Right. 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 I think they they are like three, <laughs> three. Right. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. So because, and, 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 and this is, I think, an important point. It, it isn't the worst thing that some of those metrics might be, might be uh, contradictory to one another. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing we have to keep in mind is that those three, whatever the metrics or measurements are, they, they have to be based on the sound theory. Mm-hmm. It can't just be data collection, especially from a financial statement. It's got to be like the airline's turnaround time right? Well, why, why do they measure turnaround time? There's a million other things they could measure. Well, because that's what's important to the customer. Or if you look at the uh, FedEx service quality index, there's something like 10 or 12 factors I forget, you know, on time arrival, did we damage the package? You know, basically, it's all the ways we could piss off a customer. Mm-hmm. And, and they measure that fanatically, but there's like 12 metrics there, but they're all customer driven how does the customer define the success of fedex that's what they're measuring and this wells fargo metric nobody would define the success of their bank by how many things they have with them <laughs> right whether it was credit cards accounts whatever that's not how you you know you, you look for service you look for other things but that's what they were measuring internally i think our metrics have to align with what the customer cares about 
Right. Well, didn't you write a book about that, Ron? Yeah, something like <laughs> that. You know, measure what matters to customers. To customers, <laughs> to customers, to customers. <laughs> well, just to wrap this up, in the conclusion of the article, the authors write, if you're using performance metrics, surrogation is probably already happening. Let's, I just would, would cross that out, the probably already. First of all, how did that get by the editor of Harvard <laughs> Business Review? I, I know. Probably I know. already? Yeah, yeah, probably already, yeah. <laughs> How about just is happening? Is happening. Is happening. <laughs> the mere presence of a metric, even absent any compensation, is enough to induce some kind of this behavior, some level of this behavior. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I know we got a break, but just especially when it's a meta metric, when you're looking at something like hours in professional firms, that just begins to dominate everything. Every, and it starts to, it just, it's like a cancer, it grows everywhere. And it's really hard to overcome that. And, you know, you lose focus. It's one of our biggest arguments against the timesheet is it it focuses you on the wrong things. Making the wrong mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating. And folks, I'd like to remind you, you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. And give us a rating there. I guess that filters through iTunes or uh, iMusic or no, Apple Podcasts. Sorry. Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Gee, I, Apple keeps changing their names on me. Um, and that's one way to rate us. We did get some. We did get some uh, ratings, Ed, but no, no, uh, no comments on them. So, uh, but that's good, folks. Keep going out there and rating us on uh, Apple Podcasts. That really helps. And check out our show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about more metric mania. 
one of our favorite topics. And Ed, you've been going deep on uh, trying to debunk the idea that Drucker is the person, or Peter Drucker, is the person who said, what you can measure, you can manage. What did you find? Yes. Well, this every so often when this comes up, I become obsessed with this. And I go out and I spend time on Google Books trying to, to drop in the finding anything that Drucker said about measurement. Yeah. So that's what I, I just usually usually use the word measure, thinking that everything that will, will come up, and it does. Of course, you can't search absolutely every book by Peter Drucker, but <laughs> yeah, you know, quite a few. Yeah, because there's quite a few. But here's the thing: if he had actually said this, it for it would be in it would be in one of the, the you know the essential Drucker or something absolutely. like that. Absolutely, it'd be all it, over. Clearly, for sure. Yeah. So, so therefore, it's like okay. So we, we we know that it's not in any of those established works. So you have to start to to dig down a little bit. Now, if you Google what gets measured gets managed, or what you can measure you can manage, or what you if, if you if you're negative, what you can't measure you can't manage. If you right. Google any of those, you will find Peter Drucker quote like yeah. that, you know on 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 Brainy quote and all of this stuff. It'll be in there. There's another one that seems to have in the last couple of years gotten in there in the mix as well, which is what you measure, you will get. Mm -hmm. Now he did say that he did not. He didn't at least. Nope. Not, not, not specifically that. Like I can't find that anywhere. Again, you would think that if he said anything like that, you would find it. All right. So here's the, 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 the news here, uh, found an, uh, blog by a guy by the name of Bill Hennessy. And his, and this was just in the travels of, of trying to search for this. And the, the title of this article is, I wish Drucker never said it. <laughs> <laughs> and of course it is this, what gets measured gets managed. And he goes through this whole thing and he talks about how if, if I had known, uh, if Drucker had known some of his quotes would be abused, even, re even reversed to defend bad management, he would never have said them. Right. And he, the first whole article is on this. Now he does bring up some of Drucker's praise, uh, for knowledge workers and include caveats in there. So working on the right things it was, is what makes knowledge work effective. This is, this is not capable of being measured by any of the yardsticks for manual work, mm -hmm. okay? <laughs> uh, I.e. by the hour. Hello, all yep. lawyers and accountants, please take note. This is Drucker saying this. All right, next. And Moreover, because knowledge work cannot be measured the way manual work can, one cannot tell a knowledge worker in a few simple words whether or not he is doing the right job and how well he is doing it. Yep. All right. These go on and on and on and on. Well, finally, he finally does get to the point where he says, yes, it would be better if Drucker never said this, what get gets managed. He must have assumed that people who read it, executives, would take the idea out of context in the entire work, but executives do not. Instead, they use to quote and defend bad decisions, um, often in the direct violation of Drucker's philosophy. Then he has a, there's a space in the article, and he says, the good news is Drucker never said it. Said it, yeah. Right? And he goes on to, to, to talk about the origin of this, where he, he found this out. The, it might be referring to William Thompson, who is otherwise known as Lord Kelvin, who said this, if you cannot measure it, you cannot improve it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yep. So, which we've, we, we, and we agree, we've talked about that aspect of it. Yep. But here's the real coup de grace. Even better news, the original quote by a guy by the name of, or gal, I guess, by V.F. Ridgway was not recommended, was not the recommendation of measurement, but a warning against it. And this is an article from The Guardian. 
uh, where the full proposition, as this is fleshed out, says this. The full proposition is what gets measured gets managed, even when it's pointless to measure and manage it, and even if it harms the purpose of the organization to do so. Yep. So and I being do, a director fan, the good news is he never said it. He never he said never, it. But I, never I do have now, maybe it's not as direct as what you measure you'll get, but I do have something like that from Drucker because I have a lot of his books and mm -hmm. I did quote it in one of my books and I just can't remember the exact quote, but now you've got me curious to go back and look at that. Well, and, and you got to be careful. You got to like actually find it in it because you'll find all kinds of stuff. Oh, absolutely. Right. Oh, this this would be from a from one of his books for sure. Okay. Um, so this this is the probably the closest I can I can tell. And uh so this is directly from Google Books and shoot, I didn't write down the the actual actual point, but he, so I, I I have seen this and it was in two different books with close to the same phrasing. So it says something like this. In strategic planning, measurements present very real problems, especially conceptual ones. Yet precisely because what we measure and how we measure determine what we will be considered relevant and determine thereby not just what we see, but what we and others do, measurements are all important in the planning process. Yep. So it's again, it is a caution that, and this goes now to what I read first in, in, in Peter Block, which is all measurements are judgments in disguise. disguise. Yep. Yep. And you know, this, the book I read that attributed what you can measure, you can manage is um, that was attributed to Marvin Bauer, the founder of McKinsey mm -hmm. and uh, David Boyle in his book, the sum of our discontent, why numbers make us irrational. He, he pointed out that it was Marvin Bauer I've never been able to actually trace that down, but I have seen it, that line referred to as the McKinsey maxim as well in other places, mm -hmm. as he does too in the book. Um, so, but whoever said it, it's dangerous bumper sticker logic. Yeah, and can cause real uh, and shocking harm. Absolutely, and and, you know, because we're so businesses, they measure things. We that's nothing new, right? I mean, you know, how many McDonald's hamburgers have been sold, and all of that. The the question is, are what we is this what we should be paying attention to? Does the customer care about it? In other words, or does it add value? Uh, and it's just like like Russ Roberts points out on the podcast Econ Talk. We. We have no measure for dignity. We have no measure for professionalism, for, for pride, for passion. You know, you just can't measure some things. And it just, it's a very frustrating topic because people believe in these metrics like they were the Oracle of Delphi. Yeah. And all sorts of errors and biases in them. Well, let's, let's be explicit. You alluded to it earlier, but I think it is worth a brief conversation what is the difference between a measurement and a metric? And this is courtesy, Dr. Reginald Lee, Verisage fellow. Yeah, it, a favorite example is, you know, you and I walk outside with a thermometer. As long as it's a good quality thermometer, we're probably gonna get the same temperature reading, right? That's a measurement. We, we have no choice in the matter. 
but a metric, we do have a choice what to measure, what, how to set up that ratio, right? Whether it's inputs or outputs or hours or how many hours are in the denominator, you know, for a full-time equivalent, you know, that can change. Do you use LIFO or FIFO inventory method? That's a, that's a decision, a metric. Uh, do you use accelerated depreciation or straight line depreciation? That's a metric because it's a choice you make. Which cost accounting method do you use? Those are all metrics. And Lee's bigger point is that they have no relationship to anything. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're a contrived relationship and hence his you know, dividing you know, pickup trucks by oranges or something. It's mm. just nonsensical. And from a math standpoint, that's absolutely correct. But we, man, we died. Like take realization, Ed. Realization is a completely fabricated number. First off, it comes off timesheets. It's a made-up hourly rate, <laughs> and it's a it's a made-up ratio. But what does it tell us? How does it help us improve? It does none of that. But people swear by it, right? And it, it does, and and becomes gospel no matter what. It, knowing, of course, and this is based on the nuclear option exercise that I've done, which is every timesheet is not well, you don't put down the timesheet what actually happened. You put down what you think should have happened. Should have happened. Yeah. And, and contrary to my interlocutor at, at one one session, the lies don't cancel each other out. That was right. the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, you know, the, the two favorite metrics in accounting firms are effective hourly rate and realization. And both of those are gamed to the hilt. They can be made to come out any way you want if you're a smart manager or partner. But I'd rather just, I'd rather just look at revenue per person. At least I can't game headcount, right? If I'm counting the number of customers that come into the door of my business, that's a measurement. I'm standing there, I'm counting one, two, as long as I'm mm-hmm. counting accurately. Right. But, so headcount is at least better than dividing it further by hours. That's just completely arbitrary and, and doesn't have relationship to anything, costs right. or anything else. But, you know, so is square footage, right? That's, that's, yeah. that's a, that's a yeah. measurement, right? So I could, I could do it that way too. Well, you know, take the my one of my favorite examples, and we talked about this back on show number twelve, uh, the book Uncharitable, which was just phenomenal by Dan uh, Pallotta, and he's done a few TED talks. He's also written a couple of books after this, Uncharitable, but he's talking about uh, you know b- charities and mm-hmm. the the biggest metric. You go to any website that measures the effectiveness of charity. What's the metric they look at? What percent of the dollar that you contributed goes to the... Now, his point is, hey, if Jonas Salk's foundation spent 90% on overhead and cured polio, would you care? (laughs) (laughs) And it's a great thought experiment because it shows you that the the, the ridiculousness of one single metric to to measure the effectiveness of any organization. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we've effectively uh, put put this quote into the the the, the, the Drucker anti quote vault forever. I hope so. <laughs> Let's let and and please, if you see this quote out there anywhere and and people attribute it to Peter Drucker, please call him out on it. Please, yeah. I'm begging you. It's it, it. You're you're helping the cause. So please, for we, sure. we beg you to call people out on it. But uh, <laughs> we're up against our last break, Ron. Want to remind you that you can get hold of us by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. 
mention we also have the Patreon site, patreon.com slash TSOE, where you can listen to the show without commercial interruption and experience the wonderful banter that Ron and I have between our sessions, but or sessions of the show, but also uh, our bonus episodes, which we will record usually right after the show. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise well, welcome back to more metric mania folks and ed we got an email from one of our listeners Jean Zick in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks, Jean, for writing. And here's what she asks. She says, I'm, as a fan of your podcast, I thought I would reach out with my question. I co-founded a firm three years ago to provide accounting as a service. We target small and mid-sized companies who need all the skill sets of a larger company accounting department without all the people. We are growing and would like to add profit sharing and or bonus to our compensation. I am interested in metrics that other firms use for measuring profitability in general and for compensation. Do you have any recommendations? And Ed, I, I asked her for permission to, to read this email and discuss it on air. And the first thing I did was went and looked back at our episode 243 that we did on team member compensation. In that episode, you laid out, you know, Ed's uh, rules for compensation, you know, salary and on the spot mm -hmm. bonuses and profit sharing plan. Uh, but then of course you qualified it by saying, I reserve the right to change my mind in the next five minutes on this. <laughs> this, is, this is team member comp is one of the imponderables of life, right? That's right. That's like, right. Why are That's we right. here? So first question to you is, have you changed your mind since episode 243? <laughs> Not significantly, although the biggest thing that I waffle back and forth on 
is the use of profitability and or uh, educational type bonuses. Mm-hmm. In other words, putting putting specific things in in place for each individual person to to say, if you learn this, if you demonstrate competency in X, you will get either a one-time bonus or a permanent bump to your salary. Right. And I kind of waffle back and forth on the importance of those things. I I I, I think they are important, but again, I got you got to be careful because they can also be gamed as well. So you got to be careful with that. Absolutely. I mean, a knowledge worker should be self-motivated to always learn and develop. Correct. Right. So we wouldn't, I mean, I don't want to substitute the firm for having responsibility for that, but that doesn't mean that the firm couldn't aid that development, but whether Correct. or not it should be tied to comp is a, I think it's more of a cultural issue. Probably is a cultural issue. I, I will say this though: one of the, the the pluses, and this I guess relates back to Drucker again. I mean, enough with the Drucker, I guess today, but his management by objective word managers letter, and the notion of you going to your manager and saying, "This is how I think I support the strategy." Yep. And what I like about the the, the idea of you developing what your learning goals need to be for you know a quarter trimester or half year whatever whatever the the period is is that an individual professional who's developing those things then bringing them to whoever their their leader is it's a check to see whether the leader has explained what the strategy is yes because if the person comes back and says i think i should go learn french well, you're like, well, why? What gave you that impression? We're not expanding into Haiti or French market or New Orleans. Well, you know, if if we were, then you could see that that would be something that is in alignment. But it's a check to see whether or not strategy has been effectively communicated inside the organization as well. Right, and that's exactly what Procter and Gamble does with everybody. They do have that Drucker's manager's letter where the employee has to write out their supervisor or boss, I hate to use those terms, but uh, their objectives for the year and then what the employee's objectives are and how they directly relate to the brand strategy or the strategy that they're involved in. And I I just think that makes incredible sense. It's kind of like taking the time to do a before action review. So everybody's clear on what the mission's objectives are. I mean, how many AARs have you facilitated where the first question, you know, what were the objectives? And everybody's like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Build the most hours. (laughs) Okay. Maybe that's lesson number one. (laughs) So, so uh, her question directly, what metrics do other firms use? Are you a fan of looking at the bottom line? Like, and, and possibly adjusted for like owner's compensation, you know, Uh, Or are you a a fan of looking at like a direct contribution margin where you're just looking at gross revenue minus direct labor, no overhead costs, not rent, nothing else, just just the contribution margin for for your profit formula? Yeah, I think you can go either way. And and I think that your answer earlier is probably best, which is it's cultural. Mm -hmm. My my default would be you should look at profit, that that profit, bottom line profit. 
Do you adjust net, net. it by? Do you adjust it with owner's salary? Do you keep owner's yeah. salary? In yeah, there? yeah, yeah. No, owner's salary. Yes, not owner's. Not owner's draws. Bonus. Right. Yeah, sure. not owner's sure. draws, but just so. And I think that owners should pay themselves a, a a decent salary, at least if they're not doing it as a salary, because I can understand why you wouldn't want to. There should be some kind of a number in there that that is is the proxy for that that takes that right. into account. Right. I, I don't think that you necessarily have to show the details of the financial statement to everybody to show profit. So you can just say, this is what the profit is. I mean, you could, you can say, here's what, this is our net expenses and it includes right. everything. And, and that is interesting too, because I think that's another cultural issue. Some, some firms are very secretive with their financials. Of course, if you're talking about an accounting firm, Ed, you got a lot of really smart people who can figure it out on their own. Without looking, I mean, they can get close well, enough. Well, they're going to guess anyway. Exactly. Gonna, exactly. Guess and anyway. I, I don't know if we've ever really talked about this, but what is your opinion about open book management where you just make the financials available to everybody, not just partners, but all employees? That's great. i a big fan of Jack Stack, Great Game of Business. Yes. Yes. And that's, what, that's the book I was probably do a of. show on that. We yeah. should probably do a show on that book now that I think about it, because that, that was a fantastic book. Uh, yep. Division of International Harvester or something like that, right, Ron? If I'm, I'm recalling correctly. Yeah, something like that. I, for, I forget. I couldn't even recall the name of the book. So that, that's, that's great that you remembered that. But Gene, I guess I would say that as long as you're consistent and if you have no problem sharing what the bottom, bottom line is in your firm, use that if you want to keep some things, you know, more covert for whatever reason, just go with a contribution margin as long as it's consistent, because if you look at Ed's formula, and Ed, there's a post you wrote on this, and we can link to it, I think. It's linked to the, the sh uh, in the show notes on episode 243. But you lay out the mechanics of your formula, how you compute mm -hmm. it, and you, you have them set a goal of what that profit number is, right? So whether that's correct margin or bottom line doesn't really matter as long as it's consistent. Right. And you, as long as it's stated up front what the target is. Right, right. So we'll we'll link to Ed's blog post because it's really well done. On on uh, he's got this really nifty formula for uh, profit sharing. So back in the day when I used to write blog posts, what? <laughs> I mean, I can't think of the last time I wrote. A, I I've written a couple articles, I guess, in the in the in the recent about last two years. But an actual, hey, I'm going to go write a blog post. Haven't done it. I I know, but how much of that is because we do this? I know that this is a big part of it. This it is, is a big part of it. And the other big part of it is also Facebook. Like I say, you know, well, yeah. Well, so Gene, thank you so much for, for your question. That was really good. And folks I'd like to remind you, if you want to send Ed or me a question such as this, that we can tackle on the air, this just happened to fit in great with the topic of this show. You can send it to ask TSOE at verisage.com. So yeah, I, this is a constant topic, and I've been dealing with this all week about measurements and metrics and what should we look at and how, how do you dive deep on this and what lessons do you learn? And I sit there and I feel like my my uh, my jeans are being caught in the in the forward running bike. <laughs> I'm just getting tangled up in this because I'm way past this. You know, I'm riding the backward bike, and they're trying to suck me into these metrics that make no sense to me anymore, but uh, it's a constant issue. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So what's on store for next week? 
Well, Ron, it's the 31st of January. So what does that mean? It's got to be free rider Friday. Rider Friday. Yep. There you go. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. I will see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. We'll be doing Free Rider Friday. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com for full show notes. Also, contact Ed or me at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. 